0: If you have a Bible if you turn to 1st Peter chapter 1 we're gonna look at 1st Peter chapter 1 today 1st Peter 1 and we're gonna read verses 16 to 20 so 1st Peter 1 beginning in verse 16 it says because it is written be ye holy for I am holy and if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And Father, as always, we come before you, Lord, we acknowledge your holiness and your presence here with us, Lord, and we ask, Father, that once again you'll open our hearts and our eyes and our minds and our spirits to receive your word, Lord, to receive this life-changing, this life-giving word that is able to save our souls. And we thank you, Lord, you'll do that work in us and speak to us today in Jesus' name. So we're going to have communion today, and in light of that, I'd like to focus in on verse 19, where it talks about The precious blood of Christ. And so I like to talk about what it means for something to be precious and then show how that applies to the blood of Jesus that we talk about all the time. So when we talk about things as being precious, we're talking about two things. Two things describe things that are precious. We're saying they have great value if something's precious. So it's not ordinary. It's not something that's common. In fact, we're saying it is extraordinary. When something is precious, uncommon, or that it has great value or worth. The second thing you're going to say about something that's precious is if it's greatly loved or treasured by somebody. I mean, we'll tease one of our kids and tell them, man, you're precious. But really, in, in reality, that's what you would think about your children, right? They're greatly loved or treasured. So both don't necessarily have to be true about someone or something for it to be precious. But I think both of those things we'll see are true in the case of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one way I want to demonstrate this, I'm not much on demonstrating things, but I have this right here, this rock. And it's a common rock. It was out of my garden. You can find them every, everywhere. And I think if I took this rock into a local Starbucks, and I asked them if I could just get a, not even a large, not even a regular coffee, but just a small decaf, and trade in this rock for that, I think they'd laugh at me, don't you? That's what I think would happen, because you can find those things anywhere. They're all over the place. 10 ounces of rock, but what I have right here, I think if I took this in, this is 10 ounces of pure silver. say, where'd you get that from? It's none of your business. (laughs) I'm saying if anybody wants to come here, I got a gun under this pulpit, so. Now this silver right here, 10 ounces, came from Allen's Coin Shop. Now the current value of this silver, who wants to take a guess at how much it is? Guess, go ahead. A you're pretty close. See, there's a man that's dealing in silver. <laughs> yeah, this is worth about $165. Actually, the current market price is that right there. So I think if I took this into Starbucks that the person behind the counter had any sense, I might get a large regular coffee and even get some cream and sugar with her. <laughs> so what is it about this versus this that determines the difference? It's because this is common. This is rare. It's harder to find. It's got a little shine to it. This is pretty dull. I don't have this sitting on my desk. I've got this sitting on my desk as a paperweight. That's what I use it for. got it from my father-in-law back before he passed away. So that's what we have there. Things that have value are precious. They have value and they're rare. Now, there's several things. I'm going to talk about the blood of Jesus, but I just want to talk about a couple things that the Bible talks about, that God talks about, that are precious. In 1 Samuel 3.1 It says this and the child samuel ministered unto the lord before eli and the word of the lord it says in the king james was precious in those days because there was no open vision and so when god's word isn't given it was given to the prophets back then in a vision they would speak it to the people so when it's not given or when it's not spoken the word of god becomes precious doesn't it it becomes something that should be valued So most translations, if you read 1 Samuel 3, 1, they won't use the word precious, they'll use the word rare. And the word can mean both things, and I think it means both things in that instance, because things are precious when they're rare. And I'm bringing this up about the Word of God, because we all know Amos 8, it says what? It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, Not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And it's going to be so precious and so rare in the days coming to hear the word of the Lord. It says they shall wander from sea to sea, from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. So one day again, the word of the Lord is going to become Precious. Because it is going to be rare. And I'm saying, I don't think rare in the sense there won't be a lot of religion because there was a lot of religion in Samuel's day. But that's not the same thing as hearing a true word from God. And we need to see the value and the preciousness of the word of God. Even if we just read it every day and not neglect it. We need to hold fast to what we've been taught through all these years. So a famine doesn't come in our lives because that is how the word can become precious and rare. If you keep hearing it and you don't do anything about it, eventually you get earwax built up. And it's not even that it's not being spoken. You just can't hear it. And Jesus said that in Mark four. He said this. He says, take heed what you hear. So we not only need to take heed to what we hear and also how we hear it, because he says with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, those that have ears to hear and that will hear the word of the Lord, his promise is more will be given for whosoever has to him, more will be given. But whosoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him and i'm saying i don't know how many people i've known that have embraced the word of god the message that has been taught here however you want to put it in years past and they get away from it and you meet them and it's like they didn't hear a thing and they're believing and saying things you're like man i know you sat here and heard and amen and we fellowshipped over these same truth and it's like it's been taken away from you I know some cases of people that have gotten back into that. They've gotten where it was taken away, and God's dealt with them, brought them back from being backslidden, basically, and they've renewed their faith. I know several cases like that, and that's a blessing. And so that can happen. And the Bible also talks about another thing I briefly want to talk about of something that is precious, and that is Psalm one sixteen fifteen, 15. And it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And I want to tell you here, I liked what Spurgeon said about this verse. He said, The Lord values the lives of his saints. They shall not die prematurely. They shall be immortal till their work is done. And when their time shall come to die, then their deaths shall be precious. The Lord watches over their dying beds, smooths their pillows, sustains their hearts and receives their souls. I've read and been around people that are dying to meet and going to meet the Lord, and I've heard of cases like that, and that is what God does. He meets people that are his, his saints, in a special way at that time. He does. Those who are redeemed with precious blood are so dear to God that even their deaths are precious to him. They are very precious to all believers who delight to treasure up the last words of the departed. But they are most of all precious to the Lord God himself who views the triumphant deaths of his gracious ones with sacred delight. And I like what he finished with. He said this, he says, If we have walked before him, before the Lord, in the land of the living, we need not fear to die before him when the hour of our departure is at hand. Amen? You think about it when saying precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints when Lazarus the beggar in Luke 16 dies. What says the rich man dies, the next thing you read about him, he lifts up his eyes in hell. But when you read about the beggar who suffered greatly in this life, but he was the Lord's, laid at that man's gate every day, never was ministered to, the guy passed by him all the time, but it said when he died, who was right there to carry him? Angels came. And carried him into abraham's bosom and it says he was forever comforted wasn't he if we know a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without our heavenly father we can be assured that when we pass from this life into the eternal state he will be right there because our deaths as spurgeon said are precious and they're watched over by our heavenly father His prized possessions, we'll talk about that later. We are so valuable to Him. But today, I want to talk about the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is it about the blood, Jesus' blood, that makes it so precious? So diamonds are considered to be, unlike this rock, considered to be precious stones. And the value of a diamond increases astronomically when one is found that's considered to be flawless, because that is a rare diamond indeed. So they're so rare that I read it is possible to be in the jewelry industry for all of your life and to never see a flawless diamond. Never even deal with one. And so they have to be under 10 times magnification where they're looking at that diamond under 10 times magnification and they see no internal or external flaws at all. No imperfections for it to be flawless. And so a diamond that is that way, it truly deserves to be called precious. And so what do we read, if you're still there, in 1 Peter 1, what do we read about the life of our Lord Jesus Christ? In verse 19 it says, But with the precious blood of Christ, and what does it say about him? As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So how rare is that? (laughs) like what a man said. Ask yourself this question. Have you ever met a human being that is flawless? That person is rare as can be. So the wisest man that ever lived in the history of the world, Solomon, when he's praying to dedicate the temple, here's what he said. He prays to the Lord. If they, meaning the people of Israel, sin against you, and he adds this, for there is no man that sins against you not there is no man that sins not and paul wrote in romans 3 for we have both proved that's what he does all through romans chapter 1 and 2 we have proved that both jews and gentiles that they are all under sin as it is written there is none righteous no not one for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm saying Romans is laying out that God has a righteous character. He is righteous. He demands righteousness of us, his creatures, he does. And we are bankrupt. That is our greatest need we have is righteousness before God because the fact of the matter is every single person in this room, unless God comes back, but there's been a lot of people that said he would and they died before he did. So the promise is, it's appointed, we all have an appointment on demand, once to die, and then the judgment, and every one of us on that day of judgment is going to need to be righteous, and we don't have it, and that's what we need. And that's why it is so critical that we understand that Jesus Christ is totally righteous. We never are in and of ourselves, and we need to be clothed in his righteousness through his blood. So he is the only man that has lived that has never sinned, never ever sinned in his entire life. Not only in actions, but he never sinned ever in thought or in motive or in any way. So you think about it, the smallest sin that he could have committed. He's had a hard day in the carpenter's shop, hasn't had dinner yet, and it's been a long day. He's been working hard, he's tired. And he couldn't give in to the slightest. Now, ask how many of us would do this. Not the slightest irritation. Not the slightest disgusting look, no matter how provoked he was by his brothers. I guarantee you, your brothers provoke you in the shop, don't they? Yeah, that's the way it works. No short answers. Because any of that, any time, the smallest one of that would have totally disqualified him from being a substitute and having that righteous life that is needed for me and you both. He always, young people, always honored his parents. And that's old people too. It's easy not to honor your parents, isn't it? To say things about them, to think things about them. You could be Eddie Haskell and you can still be somebody that's thinking the wrong things about your parents. But not Jesus. So he was never, ever rude, never selfish, never envious, not once, never proud. He was never unkind does anybody want to claim this week they were never any of those things in a week and he lived 30 plus years that way never sinned never disobeyed so I would say we're talking about things are precious I would say that his life was extraordinary that it was uncommon something to be greatly treasured so his life was flawless rare precious of great value there's never been anyone like him in the history of the entire world and it's his life that gave value to the blood that's what made his blood precious his precious life made his blood precious because there has been a lot of blood spilled a lot of blood spilled down through the history of mankind but nobody's blood, and you won't find it in the Bible, you'll talk about innocent blood, but you're not going to find anybody's blood that's ever been described as precious in the way the Lord Jesus Christ's blood is called that way. And so what should our attitude be towards this precious blood? Well, if you've stolen Peter and you just go back a few verses, and he said the preciousness and the value of this blood is what should cause us to live holy lives and in the fear of the Lord. Look what it says beginning in verse 16 we read this because it is written he says be holy for i am holy and if you call on the father who without respect of persons mm-hmm. judges that judgment day is coming according to every man's work he says "Pass the time of your sojourning here how in fear and why is that he goes for as much verse 18 as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vile conversation received by tradition But here's why we should walk in fear and live in fear in this life is because we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. So we've been purchased, redeemed. It means to free. We've been freed by paying a ransom. Jesus' life was a ransom because, listen, we know this, don't we? (laughs) Slaves to sin and Satan. But the ransom price, Peter's point is, it should make us gasp in love and fear. In love, because when we see the price that was paid, the life of the sinless Son of God, that was the price that had to be paid to free us, to give us righteousness. So Paul talks to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He tells them, he goes, look, it's really an exhortation to pastors, elders, leaders, to where you look at the church out there. These people are not just anybody that you're talking to. This is not just a convention that we're going to have, uh, you know, positive attitude speeches or whatever. No, he's saying you need to feed the church of God. Why? Which he has purchased. The church is purchased by his blood. God himself, through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, shed His blood to purchase our freedom. And I'm saying, if you really think about that, God Himself shed His blood, that should cause us to love Him and be in awe. And also in fear, because Peter's saying, Look, you do not, when you realize that, you don't want to despise or treat lightly the value of blood, of the blood that was shed, the precious blood. Not corruptible, where's my gold? Like this. This can burn up as much as it's worth, however much you have. Or of gold. Say, oh no, the precious blood of Jesus is worth more than all the gold, silver, diamonds, whatever you think's worth money. Turn back just a few chapters to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 28, it says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And verse 29, of how much sore punishment. Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, set apart to God, counted as an unholy thing and has done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that has said vengeance belongs unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing, he says in verse 31, to fall into the hands of the living God. So we, he's saying, you do not want to count the blood. And basically he's talking about apostasy or sinning with a willful high hand. And acting like, I just do what I want to do. And he's saying, you don't want to count that blood that was shed, that sanctified you as an unholy, as a common thing, something you can just walk on like the the blood of a dead dog that's in the dirt. Don't treat it like that. That's the warning that's there, And that's what Peter's saying. When you see how precious that blood is, we should pass our time of sojourning here in fear. The law held us in ransom. Demanded a payment. And the price of that payment was extremely high. It demanded a perfect righteousness. And who of us could pay that? Who could pay the price of perfect righteousness? None of us could, could we? We owe the debt. We rebelled against his rule. We despised God's holy and good law. The law, it said, is to be good. Questioned his love. We were slaves, chained by our own choice. And yet he willingly came and he paid our debt. He paid the great price by living the life and then offering that same life To a cruel death that was a literal hell on earth on that cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did all that. God paid the ransom. So somebody dies for you, no greater love can a man has that he lays down his life for his friends. Well, guess what? That guy's eventually going to die one way or another. He just died a little earlier there because he helped his friend. He had to die. But guess what? Jesus didn't have to die. He didn't have to come here. He didn't have to take off his robes of glory and come down here and robe himself in flesh and be treated like a common criminal, Show no respect. And when he did that, it says when he was reviled, shown no respect, it says he didn't revile back. No pride. Instead he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to me. And that's what had happened. And it says, for even the son of man, he didn't come here to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom, precious blood, his life as a ransom that paid the debt for many. He gave his life. That's why he came as a ransom for many. And he paid that price in love. He didn't do it unwillingly. He willingly came. And because of that, the Bible also says, because we've been redeemed by his precious blood, that he has a right to our lives. Now, he has a right because he's creator. God has a right to everybody's life that breathes breath in this world. But he especially has a right, and he only has a right to our lives. What we do, what we say, where we go, how we live. If we're Christians, we don't have a right to our own lives because of that because of what we're talking about today so if you would turn back to 1 corinthians 6 and look at the last two verses in first corinthians 6 verses 19 to 20 paul says what you can be a fornicator and still think you're going to make it into heaven he's not he goes what know you not that your body is the temple of the holy ghost the holy spirit who is in you which you have of god and what does he say at the end you are not your own Verse 20, for you are bought with a price. That's what we've been talking about. Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And who owns those which are God's? So he clearly says there in verse 19, that you are not your own and he says why that's what that little four means in verse 24 is explaining why this is why you're not your own you've been purchased it's basically slave terminology a slave at a slave auction when he is bought he is that master's property he doesn't do what he wants to anymore. He doesn't get up and go out in the field or not go out in the field or go visit another state or go visit his cousin if he's a slave down in Mississippi. He doesn't go visit his cousin over in New Orleans just because he feels like it. No, he's got to do everything his master tells him to do. And that's what he's saying here. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We've got to let that sink in, don't we? It's hard to think I'm just going to do what I want to do every day you wake up, isn't it? within my limits I'll ask you a question what is your soul worth what is your soul worth Jesus said this he says what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul what will a man give in exchange for his soul so what would you give for your soul what would be the price tag you would put on your soul so I heard a guy say, it's not up to us to determine the price of our soul, what our soul is worth, is it? Because who has determined what our soul is worth? God has determined that. And you know what he said our soul is worth? The infinite value of his son. He's saying that's what we're worth to him. That was the price that was paid to purchase your soul and mine. The precious blood. That there could be no value put on. So if you go back to 1 Peter 1, I want us to think about something here. Think about when you purchase something, whatever you purchase something, especially something that you have to pay a lot of money for, whether it's a house, a car, or just anything. Might be something a lot smaller than that. When you do that, don't you make it your business to take care of it, to appreciate it, and to protect it? Don't you? I think so, you should if you got any sense. Some people don't because maybe they're giving too much. But you save up your money and you pay a lot of money for something, you're going to take care of that and you're going to be a little upset if somebody else comes around and they're not taking care of it. So let's say you buy a horse or you buy some cattle and you invest a lot of money in them. You're not going to neglect them, are you? You're going to feed them, you're going to water them. If you've got a horse, you're going to exercise that horse. And so the more you spend on them, Guess what? The more they're worth to you and the more you'll look after them. And let's put it this way. So if we're Christ and He's purchased us with His precious blood, don't you think that we can trust Him? We're His possession just like you would a possession you spent a lot of money on and you owned. Wouldn't you take care of it? Don't you think that we can trust Him to take care of us? I think we can. Because look what he says here. Look in chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 4. Look what it says. It says, "...to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God." And what does it say about Jesus again? It says he's precious. "...Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ." Wherefore, also it is contained in the scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him will not be confounded. You trust him, he is not going to leave you looking like a fool. Unto you, therefore, which believe, what is Jesus? He's precious, again. But unto them which don't believe, which are disobedience, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And in verse 9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now here's where I want to focus in on. So the King James says a peculiar people, and I've talked about this before. Here's word language. Okay, so what they would have thought back in 1611, King James, peculiar is not what we think of peculiar as somebody that acts weird and does peculiar things. But what he means by that is a people for God's own possession. That's what that word means that we should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people. But what does he say? But now you are us, the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. And what we need to believe is that we are God's treasured possession. So, he set his love upon us. And that should be a great incentive when we realize that to live holy lives and to live holy for him. That's right. It should. So, if you would, I want us to look at a couple passages. So, we're saying he paid a great price, and that price he paid makes us of great value to him, is the point. I want to look at a couple places in Deuteronomy. If you would turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. So there's several times God talks about his people being his special treasure, his special people. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6, it says this. For you, he says, are a holy people, set apart people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen me to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are on the face of the earth. And the Lord didn't set his love upon you, nor choose you because you're more in number. That's true here than any people, but you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, that's why he chose you. And because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And that's what he's saying. You have to know, verse 6, the Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people. That's that same word, peculiar. Now, if you would turn back to chapter 26 in Deuteronomy. And he says it again. Deuteronomy 26, beginning in verse 15. Says, look down from thy holy habitation from heaven, and bless thy people Israel, and the land which you have given us, as you swear unto our fathers a land that flows with milk and honey. And Moses is telling Israel, This day the Lord thy God has commanded you to do these statutes and judgments, and you shall therefore keep and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Thou hast avouched or declared or proclaimed the Lord this day to be thy God. Have you done that? Have you declared the Lord to be your God and to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes and His commandments and His judgments and to hearken unto His voice? If you've done that, verse 18, and the Lord has avouched, declared, proclaimed you this day to be His. It's the same word that we just read, special. It's the exact same word. For some reason they decided to translate it here peculiar again back to king james but he says the lord's declared you're his peculiar his special treasure his special people as he has promised thee that you should keep all his commandments and look what it says in verse 19 this is what god will do for his special people to make you high above all nations which he has made in praise and in name and in honor, and that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he has spoken. So there again, it's segulah. Segulah is that word, the Hebrew word. It's used eight times in the Old Testament. Five times it's used to talk about God's people being his special people, his special treasure. Two of the references Talk about a king's treasures, his jewels that he has, all his treasures. It's the same word. But the last reference, so there's eight references. Five of them are to God's people being his special possession, his special treasure. Two of them are to the kings. The last one I'd like us to turn to is in Malachi 3.17. Malachi three verse seventeen, last book in the Old Testament. believe it's an end time prophecy here. Malachi 3, and we'll begin in verse 16, and read through 4-2. Look what it says. And then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that esteemed, that thought about his name. Verse 17, and God says, They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels." And I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. And then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves him not. For behold, the day comes that you shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea, and all that do wickedly. Shall be stubble, and that day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But not for God's people, verse 2 But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. We sing that song. Jewels is that same word, segula, special treasures. And a king's special treasures, that's what they were. His jewels, his diamonds, his sapphires, his rubies. And so what we see there is kings have what as their special treasures? Objects, material objects. The crown jewels, I mean, they sell that stuff. They put them in safes. They have guards that guard them. I mean, that is their special treasure. They probably don't do that with their wives. But God's special treasures, his jewels, are what? People. They're us. We gotta look at it like that. He says, You are my jewels. I'll spare you. You're my special treasure. Kings have their rocks. They got their silver, their gold, they're all that. No, no, that's what they really highly treasure and guard. God says, No, it's you. You will make up my jewels, my special treasure in that day. I mean, that is a blessing. So if you've been purchased by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're seeing, I hope. That we're his special treasure that he bought with a great price. And I'm back to asking when I started asked, ask, don't you think that you can trust him to take care of you if you're that? To provide your needs? You'd do that for your horse if you bought paid a lot of money for one. You'd, you'd feed him, I'd think. He can provide our needs. You don't think we can trust him to heal us? We're his special treasure? Don't you think we can How about developing your character? I think he would do that. I think he wants us to be holy people, to partake of his holiness. We've been talking about that. How about to deliver you from the evil one? There's people that have spirits that are harassing them, that are trying to draw them away, causing them problems all through the day. We don't think we can trust God if we're his treasured possession to take care of that for us? Isn't that what he says? Lead us not into temptation, but Lord, Father, deliver us from the evil one. Would He not answer the prayer He gave us to pray? Especially were His special possession. So I like what Andrew Murray said about this. He said, He, God, has set a very high value upon us, and so He'll not allow any evil to befall us. He'll manifest His love to us. He has need of us for His work and glory, and it is His desire... And joy to adorn us with his salvation and to fill us with his unspeakable joy. And Murray said, meditate upon this until it becomes firmly fixed in your mind. I'm saying that's what has to happen. We've got to meditate on the fact that he considers us his treasured possession. That just like our treasured possessions, he will take care of us. We've got to think about it more than just hear it once in a sermon got to be part of us. That's what he's saying. He said, our great need is to recognize ourselves as his possession and by a reverent confession of this, to have the heart filled by the consciousness of it. Just as a faithful dog often shows so great attachment to his owner, he will not cease from following him. Let the wonderful ownership of Jesus, his blood bought right. So possess you that it will every moment be the keynote of your life and the power of an enduring attachment to him. Amen. That's right. So I know somebody in here as a child. They saw this dog, crazy dog. And so (laughs) the way they got the dog was they started throwing pieces of meat or something, food. The next thing you know, the dog's letting them pet it. Next thing you know, guess what? That dog follows that person everywhere they go. And he's saying, we should be like that faithful dog. And so I'm saying, start trusting the Lord. That dog had to just trust that person in a little way at first. It didn't just start on them around wholeheartedly all the way. But just start trusting the Lord in small things and let him show you his faithfulness in this, this, and this. Write it down. And then guess what? Next thing you know, you'll see more and more. I can trust him with everything. He'll never let me down. And you'll be just like that dog. Everywhere he goes, I want to go because that's the place to be. That's Revelation 14. These are they which follow the Lamb. And it says they were redeemed from among men, bought with a price. And those people were faithful virgins. Follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'd like to just briefly speak. We talked. We said there's two ways that things are precious. So we said the first thing is something has great value because it's rare and it's extraordinary. And Jesus' blood is that. But the second thing we said something is precious because it is greatly loved or treasured by somebody. And let me ask you, think about this. How do you think the Father views the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? So the blood, it says, represents the life. The blood is given value by the life. And so at Jesus's baptism, the heavens were opened. It says the spirit of God descended on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it said when that happened, the heavens opened. It said a voice proclaimed from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son. He's precious to me. He pleases me. What value do you think the Father would place on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then we've talked about this in Mark, the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory, his flesh parts, This glory comes through, shining like the sun. And it said a bright cloud overshadowed the scene. Moses and Elijah and everyone, a bright cloud overshadowed, and a voice spoke from this cloud. A second time, God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased Hear ye Him. Twice the Father speaks from heaven, proclaims the Lord Jesus Christ as His unique and beloved Son. He says, I find no fault in Him. I am well pleased. He's never said that about us. Except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never been anyone like Him on the whole earth. Eternal Son of the Father. Eternally loved by god the father a perfect man and so how do you think the father looked at the blood of the lord jesus christ i think he looked at it as valuable as precious don't you i really do if you would turn over to revelation chapter five in chapter four john is called up to the throne of god and it says he came up through a door was opened and there he's called up to the throne. He gets before the throne. He can't describe the father. Like we said, Isaiah couldn't either last week in Isaiah 6. All he can do is describe emeralds, sapphire, ruby. These colors that are emanating the glory of God. And all these creatures are around the throne. Worshiping him. That's what it says in the beginning of chapter 4. It says there's a sea clear as crystal. So you have this setting here where he's caught up into this. And he comes into chapter 5, and look what it says. He says, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Not just one seal, but seven seals. And what is this book or this scroll? What does it contain? It contains God's final plan of judgment and redemption. It's all there. How the world is going to unfurl and finish And so he says in verse two, he sees this strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? There's a problem because verse three says no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under this earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And that's a problem. And so we have verse four. John sees that and it says, I wept much. Some translations say, I wept loudly. He's sobbing and overcome by this thought. You know why? Because he's saying, God's kingdom may not prevail. What's going to happen here? Who's going to prevail with all of this? Is God's kingdom not going to prevail? His redemptive purposes in restoring all things, a new heavens and a new earth? Is that not going to come to pass because this can't be opened? It's saying He's sobbing. No one's found worthy. No one can look thereon. Verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, John, weep not, stop. He says, Behold, there is one, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Well, when you read that, if you don't read on, what does he think is going to appear? Saying one has, it's a lion. And it's the root of Jesse, David, the king. So he's expecting this warrior to come bounding in, this fierce warrior is going to be the one to open these seals. And instead, what do we have? Look what it says in verse 6. He says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, it isn't a lion, but who's there? A lamb. And that is the favorite expression of John in Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders, they fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints." And everyone, everyone around that throne, all the elders, all the angels, everyone that's there, they bow down, fall on their knees and worship the lamb. If that's not a proof text for the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, they worship the lamb. Sing a song. And what do they sing a song about for the fact that he shed his blood, his precious blood that redeemed That's that word again for setting slaves free. But not just from one Israel, from every nation, tongue and kindred, the whole entire world. And so look what it says here in verse nine. And they sung a new song bowing down. This is heaven. This is the throne room of heaven now saying, you are worthy. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Why? Because you are. Were slain and hast redeemed us to God. How? By thy blood. So what we've been talking about. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. In verse 11, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, an innumerable multitude. And what are they saying? Saying with a loud voice, worthy, precious is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever and the four beasts said amen and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lived forever and ever And ever. And he's the one that is worthy of all that praise. Why? Because he has redeemed us by his precious blood. And that's the way it'll be when we make it there. That's all we'll care about is casting our crowns at his feet. And praising Him for the grace that came and lived that life to give us the righteousness that we didn't have and that we needed on the day of judgment. Giving us that and shedding His blood to pay the price, that ransom price, that death that was demanded. Oh, worthy is the Lamb is what we'll be saying. So as we approach our communion table today, Let's recognize how precious that blood that we'll be drinking, represented by the grape juice. Recognize how precious that blood is, that it represents a perfect, holy, righteous life. The life that God demands, like I said, and we couldn't give, but it's been given to us through God's grace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we'll be trusting in on that day of judgment. Not our righteousness, but Jesus' blood and righteousness. And just remember that through that, we are his special treasure now. Purchased us at a great price in his beloved son, and he'll take care of us. And he'll make us what he wants us to be, holy people. Close with this, Charles Wesley penned this hymn. It's a great hymn. And it goes like this, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me, who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued. And the chorus says, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? The next verse says, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of all but love. And bled for Adam's helpless race. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And he ends with, No condemnation now I dread. I am my Lord's and he is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me amen. amen we'll end there amen let's bow our heads and father we thank you lord for that amazing love that we can't comprehend and i ask you lord that you will help us to comprehend as much of it as we can bear lord and you'll open our hearts that we can see the love and the grace and your willingness to die and the price that was paid on our behalf and Let that be a great motivator, Lord, for us to live holy lives before you and to not despise the preciousness of that blood that was shed. Amen. The price to grant us our freedom. And I just ask you that you'll do that and make all this real to us today, Lord, and especially during this communion time. Thank you that you'll do that for us. In Jesus' name, amen.